welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And this is We Podicano, and our band could be your life miniseries. We're taking a journey through Michael Azarad's chronicle of the 1980s American underground rock scene, continuing today with Chapter 10, Dinosaur Jr. We're shipping back up to Massachusetts this week to take a look at this powerful trio formed by guitarist vocalist Jay Maskus, bassist vocalist Lou Barlow, and drummer Murph in Amherst in 1984. Yeah, it's weird when he doesn't have a last name. You have to like really declaratively say, and drummer Murph, Murph. <laughs> in Amherst in 1984, injecting a heavy dose of classic rock guitarmanship as well as an insurmountable mountain of pure volume into the punk mold. Dinosaur Jr. quickly established themselves as rising international indie stars. But deep, deep personal dysfunction would continually plague the group, eventually breaking up the original lineup on the precipice of a major label jump. And today we'll be looking into several deep wounds involved in Dinosaur Jr. through Chapter 10 of Our Bank of Beer Life. But first, let's introduce our guest from the beloved internet radio program Time Crisis. And the band Mountain Brews. It's Jake Longstreth. What's up, Jake? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Uh, we are so happy to have you here for this. When I asked if you'd be interested to be involved in this, you uh, immediately jumped to Dinosaur Jr. So we always love to have somebody who's on who has an enthusiasm about the group rather than, you know, my old interest or, or curiosity. I mean, I was going to say, I'm looking at the list of bands. I like a lot of the bands in this book, but Dino, I think, is the only one that I would feel comfortable speaking about that i have like a deep yeah. history with mm-hmm. and like they're kind of in my bones well let's jump right into the that into that segment of the podcast what is your what's your background what's your history with dinosaur jr i mean i've been a fan for like i was thinking about it today i think i got into them in 1994 um, all right so I've, I've been a fan for a lot you know 28 years yeah which is sounds that's not nothing i've been listening i was thinking about it. i was like i've been listening i guess there's a lot of bands at this point i've been listening to for that long but like just mm-hmm. like well, I've been listening to Dinosaur Junior like pretty consistently for going on thirty years, um, and yeah, I got into. I remember specifically how I got into them. Um, I did this like month long summer like high school art camp at the Rhode Island School of Design, uh-huh. which was like yes. a very fun, cool thing to do. Um, and I had this roommate from Sarasota, Florida, this guy Matt, who had like a really <laughs> awesome kind of like my bloody valentine inspired high school band called blanket oh, great yeah it's like <laughs> is that, is that just perfect 90s like shoegaze kind of band there's probably like eight other bands called blanket but yeah that yeah. yeah that refers to the blanket of sound that just washes over sure. you pull up and cuddle under as you listen to it <laughs> oh big time but he um yeah he, he was like a cooler guy than i was um and he came back to our room like the second week we were there with two CDs, he just picked up one was um, Downward Spiral, Nine Inch Nails, which I like mm-hmm. tried to get into and I just couldn't. I just, I really, really tried, you know, Earn, like <laughs> w- when you're younger, you really give like you, you make an earnest effort to like cool right, stuff. Right, right, right. <laughs> sure. Um, absolutely. Now I kind of rely more like on intuition of like, ah, that's just, it's not for me. Sorry. But the other CD was Dinosaur Jr. You're Living All Over Me. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, we listened to that cd like nonstop, and i was just i I was i was just just yeah a fan from that moment on uh i'll pivot on the dinosaur or on the living all over me um 
reference, which is that this is definitely something I picked up like in in my early years of just like I don't know looking up online like how to listen to cool music, yeah, uh, and like found that this was you know this is something that people talked about as like a seminal cool album, and uh, I I remember I had like one. I think it was the summer that I was living in Chicago, the one summer I spent there, and it's like hot and hazy and humid, and I just remember to listen listening to this all the time, um, wandering to my like shitty school summer job there, uh, and, and and just being <laughs> the 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 blanket of Chicago summer mm. uh, laying on top of me, and just listening to this album quite a bit, and and feeling the the heavy haze of it, uh, you know, feel feel very resonating at the time, but I, I've never really. Uh, gotten much deeper into the uh, love of dinosaur jr other than you know knowing that living all over me is great and listening to it quite frequently for that one summer and then occasionally going back and hearing and listening to stuff like freak scene Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely Uh, like a lush dense like humid album yeah humid album (laughs) yes 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 yes. (laughs) It, it it feels like the the wavy air of a hot humid day yeah yeah uh what about you molly um i had known I've no, I've known about Dinosaur Jr. since I I think like you Chris was trying to get on a journey of being like what's cool good music uh, and reading about them in the magazines that I <laughs> read in high school um, and you know by that point they were mentioned very kind of a rever reverent rever, reverently reference referentially reverently uh, but I hadn't really listened to them a bunch I definitely I was aware of the Just Like Heaven cover which that's that's you're living all over me right well that's uh, i believe yeah or is that earlier no i, I think or that's a single the, yeah yeah i i knew i knew that tune and liked it a lot because i was a big fan of the original because who isn't i would like to, <laughs> i would like to fight yeah. them it seems weird to not like that song uh, but i really didn't get into certainly didn't know any of the like story of dinosaur jr until reading this book and i'm excited to talk about this band because of all of all the of all the chapters in this book, this has maybe the most like emotional resonance on like an interpersonal level for me of just the relationship between Lou Barlow and, and Jay Maskus. It's really one for the ages. <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> it just it epic aggre- passive aggression versus passive. Usually, it's passive aggression versus aggression. Yes, and yes. this is the opposite. I I feel you know I feel like I almost need to do like a uh, um not a not a trigger warning but a caveat for this i mean we've obviously been like clowning on the the aggressive spiky personalities of everybody in this book because you know they they are funny to read about and a lot of them are very you know uh odd idiosyncratic people but i almost feel like there there is something so uh uh like raw and tender in a bad way about their relationship. I almost have to be like everything that we might comment on about Mascus and Barlow here is, is done with affection yeah, and, and sensitivity to, to the trials that they had to go through to each other. Uh, but yeah, these guys are both pieces of work. I just feel like everyone's had, well, maybe not everyone, maybe I'm projecting, but I feel like a lot of people have had at least one relationship in their life that has had the infuriating but uh, compelling quality of, of Mascus and Barlow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about nothing to this level of like alienation, but like I remember being in bands like because Dinosaurs started when they were like teenagers or in their late teens mm-hmm. with and being in bands with like guys who were talented and had egos who were 19 and <laughs> were, and we were all bad at communicating. And it would just be like, yeah. dudes would be like kicked out of bands, like in the most like 
cowardly, <laughs> like, like passive way and just sort of like, it just like, yeah, truly like inscrutable situations where you're like, are you mad? Like, you know, or like people making like turn, like kind of going from silence to just like making fun of you to your face. Mm. Yeah. Totally stilted level just, of, uh, which understandable. Like, I don't know. 18 year old dudes. I honestly don't really re- in, expect that much when I think about it <laughs> of, of a level of uh, emotional intuition, let's say. Yeah. I feel like that only comes perhaps with those experiences and then learning from them. I, I feel like classically one of the, genes that is most diminished by the presence of the mu- musician gene is the uh the the communication gene and and boy do we see that here uh mm-hmm. just thinking about the most passive aggressive or <laughs> weirdly aggressive band breakup stories one of my favorites is always uh morrissey firing the smith's bassist andy by put leaving a post-it note on his windshield yeah Rough. yeah <laughs> yeah young You'll post it. young guys in bands uh just I mean, it's hard not to laugh. I mean, it did sound yeah. genuinely traumatic for the people involved at the time, but oh my god, it's like, yeah, it's it's, it's it, definitely the stuff of dark comedy. Yeah, yes. with it, with the with the benefit of time, you can definitely recognize how all of these things can, can be played, and and hopefully, and I was I was reading up in, on some of Lou and, and Jay's relate like twenty first century chancery century relationship which we can talk about at the end of this and it, it seems like they've largely bridged uh those things so hopefully they have a sense of humor about it but uh you know i'm just uh warning that we are going to try to have a sense of humor about about what is uh some some pretty traumatic <laughs> relationship stuff so yeah. with that molly <laughs> let's let's get into let's this. go all right let's get into it we have uh joseph mascus jr uh who grew up in amherst massachusetts Son of a dentist, maybe maybe that's where you know that's that's a, that's a specific energy. Yeah, dentist seem does seem like a, a weirdly like passive passive aggressive uh, job, <laughs> but uh, but also sometimes aggressive. Uh, so, yeah, son of a dentist and a homemaker, a self described weird kid. <laughs> I feel like it's funny because Azrael spoke with Jay Mascus like for the book. I think right, mm-hmm. like what he wasn't pulling from archival interviews, and I feel like it's a miracle that he even got. The, the level of like detail about his life because he's a taciturn ish guy. Um, but he said he was a weird kid growing up. He, <laughs> even, even if like 90% of all Jay Maskus quotes from any interview are like, yeah, I guess that was what was happening. He, he was on, he was on the best show last week and I listened to the interview and it was like the most monosyllabic answers I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to get into it that. It was just like, yes, you got a new album coming out. That's cool. Um, you know, I've been a big fan for years. I'm really excited about this new record, Jay. Like, what was it like making it? It was fun. <laughs> it's just like, it was like, what? it was like crazy. I was like, is he doing a bit? That's the, well, we, it's, we can it seems explore like explore that. Cause I'm always like, yes, what is going on? Like, what's going on? It, in because there, it might be a high level performance. It might be high level, like Andy Kaufman, like 30 year <laughs> yes. performance. Cause it is sort of like, it does add a layer of like mystery, though, because he is yeah. so inscrutable. Yes. And even yes. his lyrics are on, opaque, even though they're about his own emotional life. You're still like, what are you saying, dude? <laughs> <laughs> you can project onto him anything yeah. that you want. Yeah. That's the, that's the amazing thing about him. The, 
yeah, speaking of uh, press interviews, because, yeah, obviously he's doing promotion for his album that came out, I think, last week. I was looking up uh, videos to make sure I knew I was pronouncing his name correctly because we've gotten in a little uh, little hot water over the series for maybe Hey, we'll talk about that names. at the Fugazi, chapter, or the Fugazi uh, uh, and uh, episode. S- <laughs> sure, and Sub Pop, uh, sorry, sorry to Ian Mackay, sorry to this man. Uh, on the Sub Pop YouTube channel, uh, he was doing promo for an, uh, an album maybe 10 years ago, and someone from Sub Pop was interviewing him, and they're like, so Jay, when's the new album coming out? And he was literally like, "I don't know. You're the record label, don't you know?" <laughs> Jay, when does your record come out? I'm not sure, Megan. You're the record label. I thought you would know. Let's talk about the name of the record. Mm. When you started writing this record, did you approach it the same way? <laughs> it has to be at least somewhat conscious of I, like yeah. I not think he knows about game. it. He gets it that it's a thing about him at this point, but I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine this guy when he was nineteen. <laughs> it's fa- it's fascinating to watch because my my conversational reflex is to like fill in you know gaps in space and just watching him let it like draw it out is just bananas. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, anyway, uh, he played drums in his high school jazz band. He loved classic rock. He had a hardcore phase. Uh, at this point, Lou Barlow moves from uh, Mich- Michigan to Westfield, Massachusetts when he's 12. He's a punk rock kid. He started a band and put up, or he wanted to start a band. He put up an ad seeking a drummer who liked hardcore music, and he ended up with Jay Mascus. Their original band with a couple other guys was called Deep Wound, Deep wound. Uh, Jay's mom knitted him a sweater with a uh, red puddle on the chest with the band's <laughs> name on it. That's a sign of a good rock and roll mom, yes. if you ask wow. me. Uh, <laughs> Deep Wound opened for bands in Boston such as uh, the FUs, DOA, MDC, and SSD. As her ad <laughs> says, it's not clear whether they ever played for bands that weren't uh, a, a list of, of letters. Acronyms, yeah. Yeah. Uh, should we listen to some Deep Wound? Yeah, oh, wow, you have some. I've never it. heard it. Yeah, this Me is all, well. I mean, one of the things that I've been most pleasantly surprised with doing this series is that all, almost all of this stuff is posted by somebody on YouTube, sure. including tons and tons of archival live footage. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's been a real benefit for this. So this is uh, the Deep Wound EP. What year is this? 84? I think like 82. Oh, wow. So this is Mascus on drums. Yeah, Mascus on drums, Lou on guitar, and vocals. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I saw it off the uh, Deep Wound EP. Still, right. still fairly in the hardcore vein at that point. 
Yeah. It is funny that you can like at that point the mold was so deeply cast that like if you wanted to do that like it was a pretty easily e- easy formula to kind of lock into. Yeah. But it's a good starting point. I don't know. Yeah. Especially if you're just trying to get good at playing and you're like 16 years yeah, old. Yeah, you're a baby. That right. is true. Yeah. I mean it's very minor threat, but it was like for 16-year-old kids it, they were like holding it down for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that's that's Deep Wound. Um, they were together for a while. Meanwhile, uh, Gerard Cosloy met Mascus at UMass Amherst. He was struck by his uh, unique presence. He said, for example, Jay would walk over to the lunch table carrying a mountainous plate of food and begin to organize it in different patterns and shapes without eating it. Um, you know, just, wow. just, just, re- college just regular things. guy stuff. Just college things, honestly. <laughs> Uh, I have spent a little amount of time in uh, Amherst. I um, attended and then subsequently um, counseled at a summer camp there. So I spent, I think, three summers at Amherst. Oh, wow. Uh, and yeah, it's, okay. I mean, I, I, it's weird. It's kind of like an, uh, that whole like Central Mass, like Seven S- Sisters Colleges areas has a very like idyllic feel even now where it's 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 all very college towny but also like rolling hills and in green it, it it's interesting like thinking about these guys emerging from that area because i i feel like that placidity kind of affects their music and it's a lot of like uh like a lot of uh people from manhattan have like weekend spots up there too like in, in the berkshires yeah, yeah. right mm. berkshires yeah yeah so yeah yeah that's a that's definitely a vibe and then so that yeah they uh Cosloy and mascus kind of linked up and once Gerard Cosley uh, dropped out of school to run Homestead Records he basically told Jay Mascus uh, whenever you start another band <laughs> I will put out whatever you record which is honestly that's a nice little like blank check in a way yeah uh, I, and it, it seems like you know for a band and a guy that don't necessarily have a ton of like specific ambition or like uh, you know what I mean like it, just having a guy be like, yeah, my indie record label will put out whatever you want. <laughs> it's it's kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, again, like the, the, the J thing about like him having so much talent, but then also having these like easily meetable and clearable benchmarks is very interesting where it's like, I don't have to struggle to get a label. Somebody's there waiting for me. All I have to do is do it. And then I don't have to struggle to get to the next level. Somebody's like basically already waiting for me to, to do it. Like that comes through over and over. And they're like, first four years or whatever mm-hmm. interesting yeah because i think he, he makes the point Azra makes the point that they weren't they kind of weren't on that diy tip of like yeah like you know calling ahead to the all ages mm-hmm. punk club in like syracuse to like get a gig next week like they had like booking agents and like labels out the get yeah There's- yeah we've we've passed the era where people are driving their own van to the show that they booked at which they're going to like help take tickets and then sell merch before immediately leaving again or like sleeping on someone's floor. Like things are the infrastructure is already there now. And, and then Crosley himself fulfills that like a uh, kind of <laughs> now reoccurring tragic role of like the the you know that we saw with the manager from the replacements and the guy from Butthole Surfers at Touch and Go, where they like really bust their ass to like shepherd a band that they believe in into the. Uh, into being a thing and then the band is kind of like immediately like okay thanks bye (laughs) and then later sues them for for mispaid royalties yeah (laughs) right because is that when jay goes with with sst yeah yeah right i mean it worked out for cosley because he ended up starting matador but it must have like 
really, st- I mean, that must have, and I'm sure it was done in the yeah. most passive way possible. <laughs> oh, you right. want to put my record out? out That's yeah. weird. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, we already, uh, we, yeah, we, the record already, already came out. Did nobody tell I didn't you? No, dude. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I've literally spent every hour of every day for the last two years championing Dinosaur Jr., and this is how you were paying me? And he's like, oh, I did, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. My bad. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't yeah. think of you at all. <laughs> um, well, so Maskett starts uh, writing his own songs, and it sounds like he kind of has like a quantum leap of like writing good shit. Like he kind of goes from zero, like almost like prodigy level. It just sounds like everyone who listened to the music he started to write was in awe of just his ability to kind of like combine all the influences from all the bands that he had ever listened to um yeah oh i was gonna joke and still and still in the end just sound like amped up neil young hey well i don't know about <laughs> if that's that the, if that's the bottom I know, line I know, I know, i'm joking <laughs> you put all the songs in the in the blender yeah mix them all together crank the volume up to 200 and then uh you're you know playing cortez the killer over mm-hmm. and over again mm-hmm. no no i'm i'm, I'm being Hot i'm being takes. flippant i'm being flippant. yeah yeah uh, so yeah, he, he starts writing tunes. He recruits, um, uh, Lou Barlow. He recruits also, uh, Emmett Jefferson, Patrick Murphy, the third, uh, AKA Murph, which if your name was that, I would, I would just be, I would go by just Murph as well. Yes. Um, and then for a little bit, they had, uh, their old, uh, deep wound collaborator, Charlie Nakajima to be the front man. And then they booted him by forming a new band. Uh, with that, like they didn't kick him out, they just made a new band without yes, him. You do just a legendary <laughs> yes. yeah. level of of communication. Uh, and J- Jay himself says he says communicating with people has been a constant problem in the band. <laughs> so at least they got him on the record as saying that. I just imagine poor Charlie just constantly being like, "So when's the next band rehearsal?" And they're being like, "Oh, w- w- uh, sometime soon." They're just like playing all the time. <laughs> God. Oh, I, I wanted to bring this up because they their new the new band that forms without Charlie they named Dinosaur and Azared says uh, dinosaurs were just uh, just beginning to enjoy one of their periodic revivals in the public imagination and I just want to ask what is he talking about this is <laughs> what, what 84, 85? yeah yeah eighty four yeah, exactly. I I feel like I mean I get what he's saying but that seems much more like you know ninety three is the time that dinosaurs come back in a big way hmm. I'm not sure what the big or even like a little earlier than that when the the, the dinosaurs uh, puppet sitcom comes in, you know? Yeah, that's but, like right turn of the 90s, right? Like 91 or something? Yeah, mid, mid-80s does, does, seems in itself like a dinosaur uh, uh, wasteland. That's a band right there, right? Yeah. Dinosaur Wasteland. Dinosaur, yeah, dinosaur wasteland? wasteland, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I think we'll have to ask that's him himself because yeah. well, I just... Yeah. 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 We'll put but, it out. We'll put it out also to the crowd. What 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 was the height of dinosaurs in pop culture in the mid eighties? In the mid eighties, yeah. Land before time, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so they that that's that's the namesake is just popular dinosaurs. Uh, they recorded their self titled debut, um, and their hallmark was uh, playing very loudly to the point where everyone who listened to their music <laughs> in the early days was basically like turn it down including uh the guy from yola tango he was basically like you guys would be great if you if you turned it down and they were just like fuck you dude the the loudness in the very early days is very funny because yeah. it's like it's everybody's like you're you got yeah exactly you guys are good but we can't you're so loud we can't fucking hear anything like you you're you're too being loud to the extent that you're making yourselves bad and they're like no we, we will not change i mean i think it speaks to like 
their larger aesthetic that which I love. I mean, it's which is like because the music from the get go was always like very like emotionally repressed and mm-hmm. like navel gazy, but mm-hmm. doing that like very loudly is yeah. is a very weird dissonance, um, which I is one of the things I think makes them so singular because it is sort yeah. of just like what are you because i've seen i i didn't see them until like whatever i don't know 2000 or something and it, it was okay because I, I would have loved to have seen them in like at that period in the 80s because i bet it was like I, I get the sense that it was like fierce this when i saw them in yeah. 2000 or whatever it was like or it was like jay maskus in the fog and it was like i remember being there with my brother and he was like yeah, I don't like music this apathetic and this loud. <laughs> and that, I was like, that I is do. Because dichotomy. <laughs> <laughs> I find that compelling, but yes. Yeah. Because it is a dichotomy of these like powerful si- songs, this like wall of sound. And like imagine seeing them, not knowing much about them, but just like hearing they're good and this just like crushing yeah. volume and guitarmanship coming from this, this band. And then he starts singing and all the lyrics are like, I don't know how I'm feeling, yeah. but I'm not feeling good. It's like the 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 interplay between that. There there is some interesting like artistic tension oh, there. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It is funny that we've gotten like the Black Flag Minor Threat, which is like high volume and like very caring, like very sincere, <laughs> just maximum effort. At you everything. have to do. Th- it's very like didn- like you you must do this. Yeah, so yes. earnest. And then you've got like Sonic Youth, which I feel I know they're loud as shit too, but I feel like they had a more like I don't know the vibe kind of matched the the message a little mm-hmm. more of just being a little more droll or Arch. or uh, I don't know yeah yes, but uh, exactly. but also there was like a darkness to it that kind of like you know hung hung over well, everything was, yeah, yeah sinisterness I to feel it. like Sonic Youth was like very art conscious like they were mm-hmm. like yeah putting Gerhard Richter paintings on their covers and stuff mm-hmm. um, and Dinosaur yeah, was knew, like they knew what guys they were from Western Mass who were like. Yeah, like I think there was something in this book that he said, like he wanted to do ear splitting country. Yeah, which yeah. I thought was like that's so like in a, like the context of that in the mid eighties like is so interesting to me. Yes, uh, let's listen to something off Dinosaur, the first Dinosaur Junior album. Let's. Uh, let's go with the Leper. I think this covers it. Well, this is their their first album is one of the, like the main blind spots for me personally. Oh yeah, probably because it was just called I mean, Dinosaur, I, not Dinosaur Jr. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think it's also just because you know, Living All Over Me is like so, like universally acclaimed as like one of the best of the '80s that it's like kind of you don't you don't really need to go to the early yeah. stuff, just go where they really started. But I think it's interesting to like hear where everything comes from. Yeah. It's interesting hearing this. It's his guitar playing here is much more like minimal and like arty. And, like, embarrassed to be alive. Embarrassed to be alive. Yeah. Sit with my life open wide. <laughs> Stairs forcing my face open. Leper crumbling, never joking. Who should I believe? Safest wallow in my own 
Uh, <laughs> yes, I know. It's I'm a leper. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> it's it's very funny. Um, I do appreciate, and this gets more prominent in some of the later albums. Uh, how Dinosaur Junior songs flow from section to section, and it just feels like he keeps finding more distortion pedals to push. Like just when you think like, oh, this is the distortion part. Then it's like, no, here's another even more distorted part on top of it. Building those like walls of sound. Oh yeah. I think he talks about this in the book where like he had been a drummer and he loved the dynamism of playing drums and then if you just plug a guitar in, have no you don't have a big pedal board, it's like not Yeah, yeah. And like yeah, he got really into like very into like wah wah pedal with distortion. Mm-hmm. And like really yes. into like whammy bar dives and like I mean the guitar. Yeah, the guitar playing is so fun to listen to. He's a guitar hero. He is a guitar hero. Kind of rare in this I era, I would pretty, say, for this this kind of music. Pretty singular voice. I mean, I think I sing about today, like listening to Dino. I was driving around my minivan today, running errands, and just blasting Dino <laughs> to, to get pumped up for this episode. And I was like, man, like in terms of guys that have like a unique tone and like attack on the guitar in terms of their solos like there aren't that many that are like truly singular it's like in my book it's like Eddie Van Halen Jerry Garcia Jimi Hendrix like George Harrison's pretty unique I was like honestly Mascus is like in the conversation in terms of like guys ripping a solo yeah and it's like distinctly Mascus and also just like the rhythms and scales that he chooses to use on top of everything Yeah. yeah Because it is very, it is very like '70s classic rock, you know, guitar stuff. But there is something very uh, like weir- '80s weirdoness about it, you know. Yeah, he has like his his moves. He has like these like melodic kind of patterns or intervals that he'll like circle back to. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I just yeah, it's it's dude, it's it's fucking fun to listen to Jay Maskus play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of my main takes from this. Great, great. Pr- print it, sign it, post Boom. it. Yes, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a hot take, but I I just wanted wanted to get it on get it on tape. It's today. a very reasonable take. Yeah, it's a it's a nice it's a nice uh, um a sixty eight degree Fahrenheit take, <laughs> yes. and we appreciate. You know, sometimes yes. the takes are too hot. I I just want to say, like, sometimes I don't know. You think about music today. And the cycle, the trend cycle of retro, what is retro cool again? And, you know, I feel like there is a tendency, which is maybe for real, that the Internet accelerates these things. But I got to say, reading through this book and how at the beginning of the 80s, the, the late 60s was kind of like first just totally not it was deeply uncool and then because it was deeply uncool became okay to like play around with again uh and distort and fuck up and do whatever and then by the mid 80s it's like let's fucking go with the 70s too like the people who are just like a a half a micro generation Mm -hmm. younger than the Mm -hmm. people at the beginning of the book and i i feel a little less not that i'm depressed whenever things come back around quickly but it's definitely crazy to, to feel like you are getting older and things are just like whipping around but that it's same as it ever was honestly yeah i think about that stuff all the time i mean i just like i obsess like with yeah because like when dinosaurs started in the mid 80s there was only like 30 years of rock you know yeah now there's like 60 something years of rock and like a lot of the big ideas were explored in that first like 25 year run from like i don't know 
mid 50s to like 1980 and then starting in the 80s it's like people start to like recontextualize and and come up with weirdo combinations of the past and i think we've been doing that like weird game of tetris for the last like 40 years culturally at large but if you want to just talk about rock and roll um and i think yeah so dinosaur was one of the first like of that like yeah like led zeppelin had only been broken up for like five years like john bonham had only been dead for five years when dino started it's like kind of wild yeah yeah Yeah, i mean there yeah again like all the the purposefulness of this is is kind of hard to tell because everything seems to happen so like naturally and apathetically for them but (laughs) they are like the band that's like what what does a a classic rock band sound like in a 80s punk band context yes uh and they are Mm -hmm. the answer to it Mm -hmm. um yeah jake i was just woke up thinking about this the other day about the the weird synonymous period we're in now where it was like if you take uh the easy answer of like nirvana happening as like a halfway point of rock and roll that we're like (laughs) basically 30 years from the start of rock to nirvana and now like 30 years from this from nirvana to now and like what is what was built and developed before and then what is built and changed now i i I don't have an answer to that, but I think it's like a, an interesting thing to th- think of like rock and roll re- as 2021 is like basically like a 60 year history. Yeah. 70 year, s- s- 60 years like a, a, as like a pop cultural dominating thing and not like a niche thing. 70 years, probably more accurately, but, but, yeah. you know, trying to think of like wh- what, what is developed in the first half, what is developed in the second half and what could that mean for the future? Uh, Again, That's, I have no, no answers I love that. to that. No, I love Nirvana <laughs> in 1991 as the halfway point. That's fascinating. I mean, people don't like to hear it. I, I'm in a, I have a hot take that the first half was better. And that like, I do <laughs> think there was something specific happening culturally in the 60s and 70s that was like fresh or something. Maybe the, in, yeah. the, in the wake of World War II and the Great Depression. I don't know what, like there was a whole new landscape in like set of material realities that we were in that like it's like very complicated obviously and we're going like i like going what the wide angle like this but uh, it's like it's hard to and i love a lot of music since nirvana um but it is tough to be like wow um the second half was as good as the first because i don't think it was Mm. Mm-hmm. And which is again not to say that there's not excellent, excellent rock music being created at all. The, guys, there time. is. Don't worry. There's great rock music <laughs> being made this very second. I'm mean, not my, hating on your favorite band, bro. My, my basic theory about this, if we're going re- real, real in the weeds, it has yeah. to do with like commercial, commercial reality, and that that like pop of Nirvana and indie rock basically taking rock and roll as a commercial p- prospect into a weird dead end that kind of ends ten years later with in like the big overarching commercial aspect of it in in like new metal that then kind of devoids of pop or like trickles down in popularity as new forms as indie pop as uh you know uh, hip hop as uh, as EDM as dance as um you know different forms of of top tier commercial rock become viable but it kind of removes guitar rock as one of the biggest strains uh, of rock history mm-hmm. and i'm not sure where that goes from now but my biggest question is will there be a gen z guitar hero we'll see i hope i think it's yet to be decided but i, I really hope there is and i think that that could be a game cha- game changer yeah or like what you're saying it's more niche i mean th- there's th- i bet there's several gen z people that are are naturally hugely gifted you know borderline geniuses yes. like Mascus was 
Oh, but yeah, will they like? Will it coalesce into something yes. that people mm-hmm. care about? Is uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Will, will it coalesce into something that people care about? Will it coalesce into something that is considered like commercially viable in the way that it becomes like a number one s- seller? Like it, it's just difficult at this moment. I mean, and I know in the context of Dino, we're talking specifically about like alt rock, indie rock, underground rock. You know, even if we're talking about like charts, we're talking about UK alternative charts. They mentioned they place there a little mm-hmm. later on, but. Um, you know, in terms of breakthrough, it's just really hard to imagine somebody who's like known for their like guitar soloing. I mean, maybe Saint Vincent, but she doesn't even really do like guitar workouts. Uh, and she's and a mil- she's, she's an a mil- old she's millennial. millennial. Jack yeah. White was, yeah. is, you know, is like one of the I don't last. Think he ones, has right? a very distinct voice on the instrument. I think he's very gift, like very talented guy. Like there's ten thousand guys like that. I think, but. Um, that's just my personal opinion, but here's here's my please. hot take: is Jack White is better at marketing than he is at guitar. I'm not going to fight you on that. He he's got the he's 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 like a one man ad agency for his whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and what what is that thing? It changes. It it's changed it's a little like over fake time. Garage rock. Yeah. 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 Be, yeah your uh, your ex wife is your sister. The you know. Yeah. I will <laughs> that, say that, I, that whole chestnut. I will say I really liked when he made his guitar sound like a bagpipe. On Icky Thump, that wor- that worked for me. That that did it for you. Yeah, d- <laughs> if I if I got to hand it to him on on something, and it's so, also very funny that uh, Seven Nation Army became an international sports. It's anthem. amazing. I that's I think that's great. Every <laughs> it's day. one of the biggest punchlines to Ots Rock. It's not a good riff. It's just not. It doesn't like pump me up. But you could go to like a little get league football uh, game in like southern Chile and like sing oh, yeah. that, and everybody would know what you're mm-hmm. talking about. It is the the sports anthem. Aim, the accidental sports anthem is funny. Aiming for a sports anthem when you're out of ideas is one of is, my favorite yes. tropes that people do <laughs> of being like, I've been right working on music for like 15 years and I'm just dead. Yeah. Uh, but let's make a hockey song, I guess. <laughs> I can't remember who did that. That was um the the uh Megadeth guy. Dave oh yeah 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 yeah. He did Dave yeah, Mustaine. Yeah, Dave, Dave Mustaine, and I cannot remember what it's gonna what that song was called. But yeah, yeah. when we covered Dave Mustaine, we went over this, and it worked. He, he, I think a Mustaine song is played at like every Canucks game or something. There you go. Did you guys do a Megadeth episode? We did a Mustaine oh, episode. Deep. Yeah, yeah, so it was it was his whole his whole life, including you know getting kicked out oh, of Metallica um, and all that stuff. Yeah. The stuff of legend. Speaking <laughs> yeah. of speaking of uh, of traumatic and passive aggressive band breakups. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, Callback. Well, we've got there far- was a camera crew rolling for for Dinosaur Juniors in the uh, late eighties. That would have been pretty sick, honestly. Oh my God. There's some scenes I would like to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we've gotten far afield on the topic of guitar heroes, but I think it's appropriate because that is you it know is. one of the one of the things that Jay Jay Mascus is the most. But let's let's get back into the the band narrative. Sure. Let's do it. Um, all right. So, yeah, that was their debut. Um, it didn't get that much attention, but it made Sonic Youth fans of them. Uh, and they asked uh, Dinosaur Jr. or Dinosaur at that point to tour with them in the fall of 1986. And there's this beautiful little scene when they're coming back from the tour where uh, Jay says, man, this is really weird. I feel like I'm going to cry. And Barlow says, me too. We just toured with our favorite band. So they have these like little moments that are are truly like the dream. The dream is coming true, and then the question is like, okay, well, like what? What next? <laughs> yeah. What do we do with this? What's the continuation of the dream? Um, so they started recording their next album, um, uh, the the album "You're Living All Over Me," which I think we can listen to in a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, they told uh, they told uh, Gerard that they were putting it out on SST instead of Homestead, which deeply bummed him out. Uh, also, after they finished recording, Jay moved to New York City. Like the dynamic was just starting to change. About like they're definitely not the the uh, the old tradition of like the band that li- sleeps in bunk beds in the same room. Like they are they are fracturing as as a group. Uh, there's also some stuff that they talked about of like who smokes weed and who doesn't, like who, <laughs> who parties and who doesn't, because it started out with both Lou and Jay being basically straight edge, and uh, Murph was a stoner, and then Barlow started. Uh, he he, I think got more into weed, uh, and that created again a feeling of of alienation between band members. Um, and then part of part of dealing with that alienation was Lou Barlow uh, spending time at home, getting stoned and writing songs that he put out under the name Sebado. So that was his like creative outlet. Uh, and from that point on, he says in the book, he no longer basically contributed to Dinosaur. Like he he was he kind of shut the door on collaboration and was like, OK, I'm I'm shunting my own shit out through my solo stuff. And I'm putting kind of a wall between me and the rest of the band because I'm picking up on some weird vibes. Yes, the Sebado thing is is very interesting because it's like he 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 has to like bifurcate his personality to be like my creative side mm-hmm. goes in Sebado, and then I just like show up and play for right. Dinosaur Junior. It's a weird. I've never actually read about anyone doing things quite like this. It's a, it's an interesting tactic, a, co- a coping mechanism for for being in this band. I mean, my question is never quite got to get at is how Mascus would have felt about Sebado, about Lou doing his own thing. Like, was there any resentment there being like, what the fuck? Lou's got his own band. Like, is he fully committed to this? Does he believe in the project? But from all the characterization we get from this, it does not seem like that is the kind of thing that he would. He's not losing sleep Never discuss, yeah, I'm exactly. sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it um, is weird on, yeah. on your living all over me. There are like two Lou Barlow songs that are basically like weird homemade four track songs that like are like proto Sebado and they don't fit in on the album and they're <laughs> yeah. just like tacked on in the end. Um, so it makes yeah. sense that, well, like, well, that the, 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 those are two like two different bands. Yeah, right. Um, we, we we can play. That's a Palato, right? I think so. Yeah, Palato, and there's another one I forget the name of. I, yeah. I, I honestly, I was. I turn it off when I get to that point. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll let's do it. I'm curious to hear it. When we get to that. We'll play the Sebado track off this first just to see where Lou's head is at. So here's Polito. <laughs> on this album because they do sound like demos for something that you know could be promising in another context but not 
It's like you know, you know, yeah, like low energy, like bed bedroom recording. It's not, yeah, not the dino yeah. aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Sounds cool though. Yeah, I know. I I like what I've heard of Sebado. Uh, but I hadn't just, realized. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go for go for it, Molly. I, I hadn't realized that the song that plays uh, at the end of the the movie Kids, uh, Larry Clark's Kids, is Sebado. Uh, and once I found that, I was like, oh shit, I, I'm not super versed, versed in the Sebado universe, but I was like, okay, wow, he can definitely set a mood. Sure. It's just usually <laughs> a, like, oh God, <laughs> sort of a, a gentle, gentle dread and, uh, and misery. <laughs> the crazy thing about that song though, um, was that it's, it's basically said in the book that, uh, Barlow wrote it wanting wanting to write a song that could get him a girlfriend who would like that song. Like <laughs> and then it worked? And it worked. So he was like manifesting a girlfriend through this tune. And uh, the, uh, what's her name? Kathleen, uh, 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 Kathleen Billis, who's the music director of Smith College's radio station, heard the song and was like, wow, this is so dreamy. Like, <laughs> I got to meet this guy. So it worked, which is insane. Well, I bet in 87, it, that did sound like more novel than it sounds to our ears mm-hmm. now. Um, That's true. Because we've heard a lot That's of true. like lo-fi 90s bedroom recordings in the last 30 years. So it's like, I bet that was kind of, I bet that was pretty fresh in 87. Yeah. Yes. Fr- fresh and uh, maybe even a little, you know, a little vulnerable, a little, oh, little for dreamy. Sure. I, mean, I remember like, yeah, yeah. when I was like, when I, was, I was telling you guys that I heard You're Living All Over Me in 94 when I guess I was 17. Like, Man, like I couldn't believe the record was from '87. Like most mm. of the music, mm-hmm. like from the '80s, especially like the stuff in this book, like the Black Flag and Minor Threat. Like when I heard that stuff in the '90s as a kid, I was like, a lot of the punk stuff, or it was even like the Smiths, which I grew to love later, sounded like a discrete, like historical genre that was like over. Like punk to me, just sounded yes. like it might as well have been like doo wop. And like di- uh, and Dino, <laughs> I was couldn't believe that it was like it, it felt like very fresh and like alive still, and I couldn't believe that it was like pre Nirvana because like you know I was whatever mm-hmm. fourteen, thirteen, fourteen when Nirvana came out with Nevermind, and so I that sort of like in my simplistic worldview was like oh that's when alternative music started, and then you're yes, learning sure, like sure. oh there's there's bands before Nirvana that were cool and weird, and like he, listening yeah. to your like. You're living all over me. I was like, this is from 87, like the same year as Appetite for Destruction and Hysteria by Def Leppard and <laughs> The Joshua Tree yeah. by U2. I was like, this is crazy to me. Uh, you know who voiced that same opinion is uh, Stephen Hyden on our Husker Du episode, who was like, you know, by the time you got to the mid 90s, it seemed like that 80s stuff, that is over. That is a different mm-hmm. thing. And now we're yeah. in the 90s and this is the new mm-hmm. thing. And like, and he was talking about that in the the context of talking about Husker Du, which you know were like one of the bands who got like the you know the big major label release in the late '80s, but by the '90s sounded like so of a of a different era. Um, and but it is interesting, and I think that these Dinosaur Junior songs really point to like the grunge thing and the '90s alt rock thing in a much more tangible way than some of the other band so far in this mm-hmm. series so it's interesting that it, it, you know you have that memory well, of them sounding it, more well it's current. funny that you mentioned steven because we're like the same age yeah mm-hmm. class of 77 um <laughs> but yeah i think he, the dinosaur definitely influenced like my bloody valentine 
I, I know yeah, Nirvana yeah. loved them. I don't know if it was a direct influence. And definitely, like, I hear that in, like, Modest Mouse. I hear that in Built to Spill. I hear yeah. even, like, War on Drugs mm-hmm. and stuff, like, newer bands. Like, I hear mm-hmm. the the continued sort of legacy of Dino. Yep, for sure. Uh, um, so now we've been it, humming along in the background. We've been listening to all five and a half minutes of uh, Polito, which, you know, go, go all the songs. Which goes, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, we, I want to give, I want to give Lou his due here. Yeah. So I, I, sure. I, yeah. Um, Molly is, is now the time to play a, uh, a classic dino track off, uh, living all over me or now is the time. All right, great. Sludge Let's fest. Let's go. A lot of the songs on this record have like these long intros that with all these different parts. Yeah. That are that are not repeating yeah, like, and then mm-hmm. and then the song starts. Yeah, all these these little things where you're like, okay, so this will be the motif, and then it changes into yeah. something else like 20 seconds later. Uh, this song rocks, it's so heavy. Uh, this whole and this is the perfect thing of, of the idea of like, imagine what this song is about, and then Jay's voice comes in. And you're like, wait, what is this yeah. band? I'm waiting. down way down one of the things uh because the only thing one of the only things i've been youtubing recently is like clips of 80s uh, like 80s uh hardcore bands and our band could be your life bands um i had served a uh interview that i believe barlow did with reverb recently where he just described how he played bass and one of the uh, one of the most interesting things about it is him talking about how he does like these big like portal bass hits all the time and he just being like I couldn't hear shit so I just had to play as hard as I could all the time which is why all of these uh, like my main riffs are just like full four string strums uh, in, in all these things and now listening back to all these Dinosaur Jr. songs I can like actually hear that and it makes more sense. It must have been so brutal live like like a someone like pounding multiple strings on a bass through like a terrible PA system in like 1985. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just must have sounded <laughs> god awful. Yeah. Like if you're doing that just to be able oh. to hear yourself play bass over the guy playing guitar. Yeah, that's always a great recipe. Like if you can't hear, play louder. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. 
you guys have the song uh, The Lung queued up? Yeah, yeah. I got that right after. I, I feel like this. The, the, guitar, like the guitar solo and the lung is just... I, it still feels... one with all these different parts that just like they just tack on one after another it's funny I was just thinking about like how you know obviously recordings are different from live but they're very clearly very tight but you can kind of tell that it comes from a band that absolutely does not jam you know you don't think that like well I mean they, they talk about it as like they rehearsed less and less as they like became more successful, but I feel like they would have had to at least sometimes play Wait, like, together. But it, in order to like when you it say out. jam, do you mean improvise it, or do you mean? Yeah, yeah, just oh, like oh, just okay. like play along and play it out. You know, the, the, when you said oh, that yeah. Jay went to New York, it was like Murph and Lou would just like hang out and practice rhythm guitar stuff, oh, yes. but wouldn't play with Lou right. with Jay. And then increasingly, he would just like come in and be like, "Here's the song," and they'd be like, "All right." Well, we will play yeah, these are the parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, again, yeah, that's at odds with a lot of the like bands in this book that were like part of a scene and collaborative. And Jay was much more of like, yeah, like a like a Billy Corgan kind of like a singular. Like yeah. this is the aesthetic. Oh, here's my solo. kind of hear those portal bass parts. <laughs> that rips. Great. Great song. So good. I feel like that's like an that was like an egoless guitar solo. Like it was just very like I don't know. It it felt very much just like nope. This is just what the song needs. I'm not like waving my dick around. Like this this is just a, I'm just decorating this. Cake. Yeah, no, that's I love the way you put that. It's so good. It, yeah, there's something so propulsive about, and that's like maybe the the punk thing about it. The song just like chugs along so far that you kind of feel like it's he's just like being born along with the song in the in the be- way that the best solos can be. I was reading something. Yep. I was just poking around the internet the other day, like finding random masks interviews. I found one that was kind of recent, and he was sort of like, "He's like, yeah, the songs are like the so- like the songs are just to get to the guitar solo at this point." I think earlier, yeah. <laughs> I think earlier in their career, this era, it was much more sort of, I don't know, just it was a more kind of holistic approach of like all these different parts are important, mm-hmm. and we're kind of. Tr- create a new aesthetic here but um right i i think like the solos are just like at the core of 
is like musical soul or something. Yeah. yeah for sure. Maybe they're where he feels most free. <laughs> most he's that's where he's communicating. Just yeah. nowhere else in nowhere well, else in his life. I do you think the lyrics are like deliberately not very evocative or communicative? <laughs> you know, they're so like deliberately just like like things I want to show you, but you don't even know you, <laughs> do you, girl? It's just like, like in all, especially like I think the first few records, he was like a little more ambitious with the lyrics, but the starting or maybe around Bug or definitely with Green Mind and after, everything is just like a funny couplet, just like, like things you <laughs> gotta see an angle, yeah. but you don't want a mangle. Just like it's like it's like literally every song is just like. I was listening to some today and I was like, wow, yeah, every song was like a couplet that, that rhymes <laughs> and is like about feelings about girls or like there's no, yeah. there's no like referencing after like the leper uh, and the lung, like the early mm -hmm. work, there's nothing after this record that really references like anything outside Jay's emotional life or no, sorry. Yeah. Anything Again, outside the world of outside of his himself. Uh, yeah. Again, may, not to speculate too much on Jay's personal life, but maybe it's because he lost Lou, his muse of both, uh, you know, rage, you know, uh, uh, anger, but also the one person that maybe he felt like he owed something yeah. to. Mm. That's that's some arm armchairing that yeah. that I can <laughs> get behind. I'm just thinking about how like with these lyrics. You could put a Dinosaur Junior song on like a mix CD for someone, and they wouldn't be able to like tell what you like meant to say. <laughs> like it could be for a friend. Like if if you had a crush on someone and they gave you a a, a CD with a Dinosaur Junior song on, you'd just be like, I don't know how they feel about you me. You have to write in the margins. I think this one just has a sick right. guitar solo. <laughs> Very ambivalent God. message lyrically, but um, yeah, but look, wait, but wait, this one's for the guitar solo. Yeah. It, the feelings and the feelings in there. Uh, well, so they, yes, they put that album out. Uh, it, it gets way more attention. They go on tour in a uh, summer of 1987 tour does not go good. Um, it's, you know, three guys staying together, driving together and just uh, a masterclass in driving people nuts from the way someone chews to the, the way someone drives, uh, it just sounds like of all these horror stories that we've talked about for people touring this, I think it just sounds like the worst in terms of people just having no, no cushion, no, no patience. Uh, it just sounds uh, completely brutal. And to really hone in on the dynamic as it's portrayed is that Jay is affectless. Like he has no response to literally anything. Yep. And Barlow senses this. And responds by retreating further into himself and being like, you know, because he can't get any like positive interaction, can't get even any negative interaction when anything's like going wrong, when anything's going well. He responds by being like, "Fine, then I'll be the punching bag. Mm. I'll 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 be the the the, the martyr. You know, the dog of the group, the martyr. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The uh, Azarad put it as. Um uh, Barlow was the uh, type of person who needed to pick over his feelings like an archaeologist on a, <laughs> at a dig. Uh, I, I feel that. And uh, Mascus didn't seem to care about anything whatsoever. <laughs> Molly, I, I should have suggested this before we did this, but you should have done their, uh, their signs before we... Oh, uh, that's a good question. I'll do their charts, <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe at the end. Yeah, yeah. Because, that, yeah, that would be, yeah, do, do get their suns and moons and stuff and see yeah, yeah. How, it, how it aligns. 
Um, and yeah, the, also, uh, this, this is pre-manifesting uh, that girlfriend for Lou. And Lou said uh, at that point he was 20 years old and of indeterminate sexual preference. And it was one of those weird times where people did a lot of hypothesizing about whether someone was gay or not. So oh. that was also like a mood that was being so gay, dude. Group, like, can which, you imagine a yeah. bunch of 20 year old guys in like, but, the late 80s? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, so especially bad. if like for again, like Jay, who doesn't who doesn't have voice and opinion about anything, but is still like calling you gay every once in a while. If if that is what we're to infer yeah. from that passage, right? Yeah, if that if that's where if that's where he's uh, putting his effort into yeah. calling you gay, as opposed to like you know uh, uh, anticipating your needs or thinking about or, you. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds uh, yeah. Brutal. So that it didn't sound like they were friends. Like I, I've always been in bands no. with friends yeah. first, and then it's like, okay, your friend isn't a very good uh, guitar player, but it's fine. He's your buddy. Like we'll figure it out. It sounded right. like these guys like like they met because Lou posted a wanted you know like a a drummer wanted thing in a guitar store or whatever and then like yeah <laughs> this seems like such a weird way to go about it just like yeah craigslist style like we're not buddies but like we have to play yeah, music but you, you know it is yeah and right. it says that lou specifically you know expected that classic thing of like oh the band should be friends and that and jay apparently is like completely not reciprocal reciprocal mm. of that and then it's like you're in this weird situation where, yeah, as you said, you like post a Craig uh, like a, a wanted ad, and a guy shows up to play drums, and suddenly it's five years later, and you're touring England with the guy, and his relationship to you is explicitly still like, I just showed up to an ad to play music. Uh, well, and that know. guy is no longer the drummer; he's actually the the uh, the lead and guitarist and songwriter and, like, and vocalist. The, it's his <laughs> band, and you're playing bass, and you can't even hear yourself when you're gigging. It, it sucks. <laughs> Plus, this guy doesn't party. Like, you want to like smoke yeah. weed and party with the drummer, and Mascus is like oh this God. uptight. Like, I find that was so fascinating that he was like he got into straight edge, and then that was the only thing that really like stuck from like the hardcore era with him was just like he still has never yeah. smoked weed. It's like the stoneriest, like like low, just like weird. Like he sounds like right. such a stoner. And it's yeah. like right. he, the fact that he's not yeah. and like doesn't drink is like so like makes it so much weirder. Yeah, a lot of weird dynamics going on here. The, the the kind of wild card that's not really gotten into is the personality of Murph, other than he is also constantly annoyed <laughs> by everybody, annoyed and <laughs> and annoying a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. the The casualty of this tour at the end is Murph. He's the one who has a breakdown and and like uh like uh. I don't know, pushes over a TV or something in a, in a motel room that they're stuck in. Like he, he it's, has, it's almost like the two, the two guys went at each other and then Murph is like taking all of the, <laughs> the uh, fr- shrapnel or, or whatever. And he loses it. Uh, uh, Jake, that, that, that analysis of, of <laughs> Barlow and Jay is so like, I feel like you summed it up in like one sentence that it took this book, like 25 pages. You try to hire a drummer and he takes over right. your band and he's not even that fun to hang out with. Yeah. Like, how do you even deal with that? And then you're trapped with him because he's a fucking god. Because he's he's so good. The band is good. It's sort of like, what are you going to do? Leave the band? If the band sucked, then you're like, well, fuck that asshole. Like, but this band rules. Yeah. People love this band. Yeah. And like, but yeah, I mean, it's a you. You could feel the the emotional cage that you would be in in such a situation where you're where you're like, I hate every moment of doing this, but the thing that we're doing rocks so much. Yeah, and people people like it. More and more people are like, "What are you it. supposed to do? Yeah, like go back yeah. to Western I, Mass and like work at Safeway?" Like, yeah, 
Right. They're Which is why Europe. it makes it seem very reasonable that your response to that would be like, I'm just going to go to my house and make like weed drenched four track mm-hmm. t- tapes that are like echoey experiment acoustic rock. All right. Well, that's 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 their tour. That's their vibe at that time. Um, pretty much right. I think it was. Yeah. Basically, right after you're living all over me came out uh, a, a super group formed with members of uh Country Joe and the Fish, Quicksilver Messenger Service, Hot Tuna, which is my favorite, least favorite band name of all time. Hot uh, Tuna. Hot oh, Tuna. Bad. Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. Uh, they got together and uh, created a super group called the Dinosaurs, and therefore uh, Dinosaur Jr. had had to come into existence. Wait, sorry. Was, um, was that super group, did that predate Dinosaur? No, they oh. got together. It's It's... From what I understand, they got together after Dinosaur existed and kind of flexed too hard. Like they they had like claim to it maybe because they had been people and they were already. it was like a joke or it could have just been a sh- like with dinosaurs yeah. this- they could have just shrugged. Well, I have to say that's a stroke yeah. of luck because Dinosaur Junior is a much cooler name and it, yes. it's totally and it, it, like 100%. It, it evokes the vibe of the band so much better. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, they, they really lucked into that. Or they were like, you know what? Actually, yeah, uh, let's let's add a cooler thing onto their name. I just want to read. They, uh, they're they getting more attention. They go to Europe classically, as you do in this book when you are um, getting bigger. And they get the, the classic treatment of being like, wow, this band is amazing. Like, this American band is like really got something going for it. And I just want to read an excerpt from a Melody Maker interview uh, with Jay and the boys that made me laugh. Uh, this is by a writer named David Stubbs, and he is asking Jay, who do you listen to? And Jay replies, uh, everybody. Everybody. <laughs> now, this may not seem... <laughs> uh, everybody? Uh, now, this may not seem like much of an answer, wrote Stubbs. This is not quote of the year and wants, wants for the delicious aphoristic quality, which we so enjoy in an Oscar Wilde or a Nietzsche. But Stark... <laughs> But Stark Print cannot do justice to its catatonic dead weight, more eloquent than any Pete Burns rant. The sprawl of the drawl, the great mental cloud which attempts to conceive of the great swaths of rock history in which dinosaurs are soaked. The pause that precedes this answer is like the death of the word. Wow. That is incredible. That is like, that is very I mean, eloquent. I guess he wouldn't have writ- written that like insane take, which I... Without like the music doing the talking, you know, if Jay was just sort yeah. of like, well, right, I'm really right. into like early King Crimson and like Black Sabbath and then like a little bit of Neil Young, and I love like if he just if he broke it down, it would have just like the mystique would yep. be would be gone. Right. Everybody, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, everybody. <laughs> and again, it's, it's like genius. Uh, continuing the trend of the the um, the UK music journalists being. <laughs> the most please sir may i have another of of any of these <laughs> groups of being like these these kind of shithead guys from america coming over and being like i, I mean i don't know we we kind of hate being here and we just like want to play our music and do loud do fast and then being like there's a new breed of excellence <laughs> being born across the atlantic <laughs> a kind of primitive genius that we could never expect to see from yeah, our yeah it's in, it's incredibly <laughs> tap um yeah. It's so funny to think about Mascus maybe like reading that like six months later and being like, <laughs> right. Wow. Well. <laughs> That's certainly a way to be perceived. <laughs> that, uh, say, say I, I about wish... Jay Mascus. He, d- he leaves the perceiving in, in your yes. hands. 
he's not trying. I mean, he maybe he is. I don't know. What what I wouldn't like to get a, a crack inside that that old coconut. I would give anything to at any point in any one of my creative endeavors in my life be given that much credit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course. Just just saying, um, I don't know, man, and then just having a paragraph written about how, the, the, how profound yeah, the weight not of knowing history. something is. Yeah. yeah. Um that's yeah, an so that, that's quote. their that's our European experience. Yeah. Yeah, so good. Uh so yeah, the the uh You're Living All Me All Over Me is a an indie hit as Azarad writes, success was the worst thing that could have happened to the band. It seems like they kind of reach a, a plateau of motivation in terms of what they want to do next because they put out a successful album on SST. Like, what else? What are you going to ask for? Um, and so they put out another album, Bug. Uh, should we listen to something from Bug? Uh, gotta gotta listen to that Great freak song. scene. Great record. Right. You know, Great I was record. disappointed in Azarad's tone with, like, he was basically like the band went downhill after you living all over me. Yeah, he and didn't he was give Hip like, Bug a shake. He was just like, you know, Dinosaur was a little retrograde and and like, I mean, Dinosaur is the only band in this book that's still going. It's, it's like, true. I mean, literally to this day. Talk yeah. about like a life in the arts. I mean, it's like, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that how I feel like there was like Azrael's like a little negative that like somehow yeah. like Dinosaur yeah. lost its way or like was not as ambitious as he wanted or something. But like, yeah, he did. He did play. I do wonder if he the the departure of Barlow is what like he linked his opinion of, of that to that. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to speculate because I mean to give to give maximum credit to Azred, I mean the, the structure of the book is like the indie years of the band. Is the what? So he does have to like the indie years oh, right. of the band. Yeah. And so like the narratives all end when they hit the majors unless it's, he's also chronicling like a tragic fall for right. the majors. Um, and so to build like a narrative around this, it's kind of like you know, the, the living all over me has to be the peak and bug has to be the fall off. But uh, yeah, it's a little unsatisfying because you know I was listening through Bug today and a lot of great songs on this record. And it's only a year later. No bands yeah. take like four years mm-hmm. to make an album. It's like I don't know. I mean, I love all the '90s major <laughs> label stuff that Dino put out. Yeah, I mean, I love this stuff from this century. I listened to the new record today, and I was like, "Listen, I know what it's gonna be. It's a Dino record, but it's gonna rip." Yeah, you're gonna get some sick solos in it. You're gonna get some apathetic li- uh, lyrics about like wanting and not seeing, and uh, <laughs> feeling and not feeling, and then he's gonna rip a awesome right solo. <laughs> Thrilling, low volume bridge. Sometimes I think I'll kill you. Just don't let me fuck up, will you? Because when I need a friend, it's still you. The end of the song is so good. There is also like a a weird confidence in his apathy. Absolutely. You know? That's a good way. Like, it's very, like, his voice is very soft and, uh, you know, non emotive. But it's never thin, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that makes me think of, uh, I believe, pavement a little bit in terms of like the, the confidence to like, 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 yeah, like, like Malkmus has a similar approach that Askis did vocally, which is like, this is what I sound like. And somehow like there's a confidence, like a complete confidence, mm-hmm. almost an arrogance. Right. It's like transmitted through the like laconic, uh, low key. Yeah. Bot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is uh, funny that uh, in the book he speculates whether or not Jay Mascus, Mascus was the origin of the slacker stereotype of Gen Oh, X. yeah, that connection was was made. Uh, which, you know, if, if you have to put, pick a patient zero, uh, you know, why not, why not Mascus? Interesting. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's funny, it's like slacker, but slacker frontman of huge indie rock band you know what i mean because it has to be it's, the, a, it's a vibe it's, it it's is. a vibe it has it's to not be a the two. it's got to be like the guy and this is where the the you know not I, I think this is probably where you're going molly but like the uh this is where the chapter ends is like the guy who is like excellent at anything at every thing he tries who cannot be given a shit to uh to move it forward in any way mm-hmm yeah, or yeah, I don't I don't know if it's that or if it's I mean they it's uh, we'll, we'll get to the major label signing in a second cuz I do think uh Mascus is uh uh quote about that is extremely funny. Uh, but before that, so yeah, in the book, you know, it's as as I think Mascus himself says, uh the band was going down already. Um you know, tensions are increasing. There was an incident on a, another tour in Europe in 1988 where uh, Murph basically woke up like sleep attacked Blue. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very funny scene. And the funniest thing is that Mascus is clearly up and watching it, and he's not going to intervene. Hell no. <laughs> like he's, he's watching it and being like, I think it's going to happen. And then of course he wakes up right before he throttles him, I suppose. But it, I just like it the sounds idea like that he's a bystander. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like Murph is doing a full like Frankenstein like bolt upright in, in uh, bed with your arms out like attack yeah. thing on on Barlow. Yeah, Mascus is like, let's see how this plays out. Yeah. And then meanwhile, uh, Barlow is um, he's he's kind of acting out. You know, he they attribute it. He both he and Jay attribute his uh, confidence and starting to speak his mind a bit more. Or as as Jay says, talking a lot uh, because he has a girlfriend and the girlfriend is giving him a little more confidence. And he's also acting out in live shows when instead of playing his parts, he's doing like a droning, uh, uh, a sonic droning. Um, so he's doing, it's very like, uh, you know, kid, uh, kid acting out thing by just being like, I'm not going to play my part. I'm going to play whatever weird shit I want, I guess. Um, and that, that is the, uh, incident that incites the, I I think the only act of at least written in the book of Jay being aggressive and, and caring about this relationship, which is that they're playing in Connecticut and, uh, Lou, Lou is droning away. Uh, it Mascus he looks and thinks that Murph is going to kick his ass that he's annoyed and he's like well Murph's not going to do it so I guess I'm going to have to and he goes up to him grabs his guitar and tries to attack uh, Lou with his guitar he re- uh, recalls somewhat fondly it made a pretty good sound <laughs> uh, and so you've got you know Lou holding a bass as a shield and, and Jay attacking him and it's, it's I think the only incident that r- it really the passive aggression and the passiveness become aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, it's, 
kind of a crazy I would again I would love to see footage of this but uh sad at the same time honestly now that I'm recounting it aloud it's yeah it sucks to attack to attack your bandmate he on ta- stage he attacked his bandmate on stage then can you imagine that's like uh the end of the Eagles doc uh or when they broke up in 80, Glenn Fry and Don Felder were just like there's like there's like uh like on stage monitors that like picked up or mics or whatever like that picked up there and, and Glenn was just like, I'm gonna kick your ass after the show, buddy. <laughs> just you watch, dude. Oh my god. Um that's intense. I feel like there was another section right before that where like like because you were saying that Lou started talking more and that Jay was like, mm-hmm. yes. Oh, he started talking more and I don't like what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is really funny. It's like, what the hell was he saying? Like, yeah, right. What was he saying? And also, like, I guess, am I just imagining that they're just hanging out for like hours and no one's kind of saying anything? <laughs> like, yeah. The, I mean, the whole vibe thing. of the group is the uh, just, it, what you can infer through it from it is just so fucked. Just like a six-hour drive, like just silence. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the. Not the even the beginning of the end, or the middle of the end. It, they uh, basically plot to uh, Mascus and Merv. Kind of, they do a classic spineless uh, quote, quote spineless firing of Barlow, where they made him believe that the band was just breaking up, uh, and instead of actually breaking up the band, they uh, hire on a new a new bassist. They plan a new tour. They're thinking about signing with a major. And once he finds out about this, he obviously you know goes to their house and starts screaming at them, being like, "What? What the fuck?" The, uh, so it's yeah. The funniest detail about that is that they it's so passive aggressive that they have to go to his house for the first time any of them had been to his house. The first time any of them wow. had been to his house to try to tell him that he's out of the band by like saying that the brand is breaking up. It doesn't take, he doesn't understand. So if they have to go back to his house again to try to do it again, it seems to stick that time. But it's not until even later that he really gets what's going on. And then he comes to a rehearsal and yells at them. So it's basically, it takes like three discreet times to tell him that he's kicked out of the band. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, that's so, it's so uh, awkward. So, so much. So much more painful yeah. than it had to be. Yeah. Than it had to be. Just leave it, a post-it note on his windshield, like <laughs> like Morrissey. I mean, also, if you're Lou Barlow, are you going to be 100% shocked that they want you out of the band after you've been attacked on stage by yeah. by your front man? Like, it, it's not like it's coming out of completely nowhere. Um, but I just under I, I understand very well just the idea that you get so far into a groove of a certain pattern of communication that it's just impossible to wrench yourself yeah. out of it. So I feel like that's what happened here. Um, and uh, uh, miseries continue this is incredibly sad as well is that they break up um, uh, Lou sues because Jay was the only one who had signed anything with I think Homestead and so he sued Jay for like $10,000 in back royalties to which Jay responds we weren't making any money (laughs) there's no money and so there's an acrimonious lawsuit uh, which even uh, during this period, Lou gets dumped by his girlfriend who starts dating his lawyer. Uh, just an absolute, like you couldn't make this shit up of just oh, the God. rock bottom of being uh, alive, I guess. And the chapter ends with, you know, Chris, I remember you said that this is one of your favorite bits in the book is that it ends with an incident where uh, shortly after Nevermind was released, 
uh, uh, Barlow is totally high and drunk. He runs into Mascus on the streets of Northampton and he basically screams at him, they fucking beat you to it. You could have done it, you asshole. We could have fucking done it. And that's the end of the chapter. I love yeah. that scene. Drunk Lou Barlow yelling at Jay Brutal. Mascus on the st- streets of Northampton after Nevermind came out being like, that could that could have been us. That could that have been us if you gave one ounce of a shit about it. But here's any the thing. Could it have been? Uh, no. Could have been, but it wasn't. Well, I love no. Jay. Like yeah. his response. Jay is just silent in response. Just like maybe like raises his eyebrows mm-hmm. and just sort of like, okay. And just like keeps walking. Okay. Yeah. I'm, Whatever you say, man. I mean, I've got like four more major label albums to put out in the 90s. Right. Uh, I mean, before we end on, I do love that scene. Before we end on too dark of a note, I will say that we have to say that they got back together eventually. Like mm-hmm. uh, Jay put out several more albums with increasingly diminishing members of the original Dino lineup down mm-hmm. to the point where I believe he put out some albums that's like basically just him. Mm-hmm. But then in the mid 2000s, and I was reading about this, um, Barlow said that they reconciled and they started to reconcile be- by him noticing that Jay was showing up at Sebado shows, which I think is very oh. sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a ba- I mean, I, I didn't get all the details about this, but I think that that detail is about the sweetest thing that you would get between them reconciling. And they got back together and they've been playing together since the mid 2000s, all three of the original members. And they've released like five or six albums <laughs> since they got back together. They're good and too. They're the band of all the bands that we will cover who have released an album most recently. You're all right. Chris is, Chris is getting choked yeah. up. Yes, it's too much. A fly, a fly or something. It's, it's powerful, the, a, the reconciliation between Jay and, and Lou. It's, Chris, oh, it's me. Yeah. Anyway, deep. of all the bands that we've covered, they're, they're the ones that have put out an album most recently, which is literally five yes. days ago, a new Dinosaur Junior album came yeah. out. Uh, we were recording this the uh, April 28th, and that album came out the 23rd. So, like, in the end, very dysfunctional adolescence. Maybe they just needed to yes. grow up, literally. Yes. Like, yes. maybe they needed to be older than, like, what, 21 years old by the time? I don't know how old they were when they broke up, but I, I think that does do a person a world of good is to just get out of your, like, late teens and early 20s, no matter what you're doing or, or what, what kind of thing you got going Jay on. Jay was born at 65, so he was, like, 24. Four-ish at the oldest when they broke up. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's I guess that's like why I felt compelled to like put a, a a personality commentary warning at the beginning of this because out of all these groups, I mean, obviously, like even going back to Black Flag, like Rollins does feel like such a kid, but he has like such a intentionality to him that it doesn't feel this way. These are the guys that feel most like kind of like children, like literally, like like. It's babies like serious <laughs> arrested <laughs> development. They're the energy. Yeah, yes. they're, the, they're the dinosaur junior. They're the 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 hardcore babies. Do it like they're not un- dinosaur senior. Yeah, what did unable you to communicate with each other. So it is nice to know that they eventually resolved and put out some great albums. I would yeah for listeners are curious. I mean like the they put out a record uh, in like ninety three or ninety four called Where You Been, just awesome record. Kind of my favorite Dino record. And then, yeah, since 07, they've put out like five records. Um, there's a song on the album Beyond called Crumble, which maybe that's a good one to go out on later. Yeah, it's like it one up? of my favorite. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, we should, we should listen songs, to Faves like, after. Top five dino. It's great. gorgeous. Well, great. Let, let me play just because this is, it's 
you totally unique in this series. Let me play one off their album that came out literally yeah, five yeah. days ago. Let's do I Ran Away off of uh, Sweep It Into Space, which I actually like as an album title. It is a good album title. This seems to be fulfilling his initial proposition of country but loud, you know? You can see what I'm saying about the couplets. Yeah. Yes, you're, you're so right. wish that Mascus was a bit weepier because I feel like he could be like have that like very country affectation especially as he gets oh that'd be older, funny you know? like real like I ran away just like real like <laughs> Florida Georgia line style just like yeah <laughs> but in his own way like if yeah. he could affect that but he can't he can't affect anything but him himself. Which you know what he is himself was, at all times. He, he is I was interesting in his yeah go when he did the Marin interview a few years ago. Like he said that like his vocal approach was just trying to like rip off Mick Jagger. Like when Mick Jagger is trying to rip <laughs> right, off yeah, yeah. American, sort of like like send me dead flowers and like yeah <laughs> like and he like that's what his touchstone was. Yep. Here we go. Let's just do a solo. He's got almost like a little Thin Lizzy with those duo guitar lines. <laughs> okay, bridge, then solo. All right, <laughs> all right we're following this all the way to the solo. Got it. I got, I and then know what, what kind of and then also it must be commented that Sebado in the '90s also became acclaimed sure. in its own right. I mean, it was never like a powerhouse, but you know, yeah, they they had their own thing going on. Alright, that's I Ran Away off Sweep It Into Space, uh, which you know came out April 23rd, 2021. It is so bizarre Shout to out. even just think of uh, an album coming out, you know, in 2021. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> just to, to think about an album coming out in 2021. It's weird. Period. It feels weird. Well, yeah, feels imagine weird. if it was like, yeah, this is the new Black Flag record. Um. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Just, know, just knowing all of the like garbage they've had to wade through all the bathroom like all the weird bathrooms they've had to go to ba- the bathroom in and they're still doing it <laughs> yeah heroes uh, shine on you crazy diamonds <laughs> uh yeah i mean like I, it is it is funny that as, of all of these chapters this one ends on like one of the biggest bummers of people being the maddest at it each other but then like and again uh Azred wrote this book in 2001 and he didn't even true 
even know that they would get back together at that yeah, point. So that's true. Uh, I do appreciate the happy ending for Dinosaur Jr. because as, as much as it's fun to uh, joke about uh, Mascus and, and Barlow being <laughs> goofy, uncommunicative weirdos who like doom their own project from the moment they meet each other. They didn't. They got back together and it works. I, I, I feel like I'm belaboring mm-hmm. that point. Anyway, here's Crumble Off. <laughs> Uh, 2007 is beyond, and then we'll move into the end part of this episode. because I'm thinking about all the bad alt-rock that was coming out in sure. 2007. Like, I don't know if there was a Red Hot Chili Peppers album <laughs> from that era, but what, you know, Stadium of Cardium a few sure. years later, or like, I don't know, Audio Slave yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and this totally, like, even the guitar tones, like, being in that realm, but this being like, oh, yeah, this is what a good alt-rock band yeah. sounds like, you know? Mm-hmm. I always find this song very affecting. It's just like, Really beautiful and sad, but it like you kind of can like low key like bob your head to it. It's like, it's like, yes, there's a lot of movement to it, but it's like, I don't know, just like they they affect uh, like between the voice and some of the more gentle guitar points parts mixed with the uh, like really loud parts, they're like gentle but muscular. <laughs> at, all, at all points, you know? Like a beautiful horse. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, I said that as a joke and I'm like, I don't know, this has this has like a like a this has horse vibes. <laughs> it doesn't have car vibes. No, it doesn't. It's a, it's a subtle but crucial <laughs> distinction. Like a horse and buggy song. Uh again, you know, we probably want to wait until the big guitar solo. Oh, here it is. I don't think he goes big here. I think it Oh, I, I was just going to say, one of my favorite parts in the chapter is, is Azra being like, uh, including a song that had two, count them, two guitars. <laughs> yeah, well, again, anyway. I, I, the, the foundation of his career is basically like being awesome at guitar and ripping beautiful solos was like a novel approach for the scene he was coming out of, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So much of people's careers are built on that, like the context of yeah, yeah. doing something new in a specific context, and it's recontextualized and, it, and it's fresh. It's, it's like, anyway. Yeah, I cannot remember who said this, but I remember this all the time. It was someone in a band who was talking about uh, recording a song and doing a guitar solo, and he was being told not to do it because guitar solos aren't trendy mm-hmm. right now. And they were like, well, if I don't do a guitar solo, it will be as trendy as doing one. It's just going to be the trend of not doing it. So why can't I just right. fucking do a guitar solo? That's going to drive <laughs> no, me nuts. I, that sounds very familiar what that. you're saying. Like the guy was sort of like, yeah. well, it's going to, it's, if we don't do the solo, it's going to date what we're doing. Exactly. Like it's going to be, 
date if it's only dating something if you're just going along with what is already now, now that's driving me crazy what the hell was being that? done fuck me right. i'm gonna have to i'll have to dive it's listeners, like vague enough that i'm like oh no this google's not gonna listeners right in with google. who said that uh yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a tough google it's a vague it's a vagal <laughs> uh guy does things says one time mm. anyway Five million results dinosaur jr good band they have a lot of good albums a lot of good songs and a happy ending jake thank you so much for uh yes. joining the show do we have any other uh final thoughts on on dino jr um i just thought of one was which was you're living all over yeah. me the version that you'll mm-hmm. find on the streaming services ends with the cure cover just like heaven but mm-hmm. the original mm-hmm. sst release in the cd that i bought in the 90s the closing song was a cover of Peter Frampton's Show Me the Way, which was a much really? funnier no and shit. snottier and ironic and deliberately less hip move. Um, I huh. want you to show me the way. Oh, you would say, I, I feel like I've heard it's, the, I'm sure the, the it's on Dino YouTube, Junior cover uh, of, you know, bring it up. But I, it's, I, I just love that. Like, again, thinking about the context of like the 80s and like mm. punk rock, hardcore, Sonic Youth. And then just these dudes doing a Peter Frampton cover. <laughs> that song is so funny. Show me, show me the way. Just in general, the fucking talk mm-hmm. box. And Masters uh, is doing this is like nasty, it, n- nasty. I have wah, heard, wah, heard like, this before. Wah, 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 wah. Oh, yes, yeah. I, I have definitely heard this. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, you're at, like, Maxwell's, like, in, like, Hoboken, New Jersey. In, like, 1986 yeah, or like, something. Oh, this hip new band. <laughs> and, like, Thurston Moore is there, but also it's loud enough that you literally are, like, pinned against the back wall, and they're playing yeah. Show Me the Way. And this <laughs> vocal is, like, especially, like, aggressively, like, out. This approach to it. Oh, I'm gonna send Lemmy Caution this song to make a uh, karaoke a track of. Yeah, that's a great idea. This is the most animated I've ever heard Mascus sing. It is. Mm-hmm. He's like genuinely into it. Just like crazy wah. Yeah. Wild. Uh, that's great. Thank you for reminding me of that. And this is a, a actually a very good one to go on, out on. Yeah, this sounds awesome. Um, I haven't heard this in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't yeah. think we'll listen to the whole thing. Okay. You can find this on YouTube if you want it. Please, please do. Uh, Jake, again, thank you so much for being on this episode. This is a lot of fun. Super Uh, fun. It's always great. All right. It it was great to dive into this band with you. Uh, Is there anything that you would like to plug for our listeners to go to? Nah. I mean, check out my band, Mountain Bruce. If you're into kind of meta classic rock, um, check out my band, Mountain Bruce. I do Time Crisis every other week with Ezra from Vampire. That's on Apple Music, but, you know, I don't need to plug whatever. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I, like, I, look, I just want to be. Apple Music doesn't need my, need my help. I just want to be perfectly clear that that is not a podcast. Yeah. It is an internet radio program. The, and so you need to, if you're in the podcast ecosphere, you need to go slightly out yes. of your comfort zone. Yeah. To approach an internet it radio airs. program. It airs every four. It airs every it airs. other Sunday at uh, three p.m. Eastern, twelve noon Pacific. So get a, t- involved a with time that. to be at a place. Even even virtually? Yeah, it's like a Who'd Sunday show. Certainly not me. I love that. Well, can I pivot from a time to be at a place even virtually to, <laughs> as you all know, my big pitch, the Frequency One Festival, a streaming music and podcast festival, a one-time only live streaming experience, Saturday, June 5th, five bands, five podcasts, uh, all live, tickets available at Frequency, F-R-Q-N-C-Y dot live, uh, it's going to be super great. I just talked to our production team and they're going to be like, I didn't even expect them to be doing this shit. They're going to be like building a set there for like the podcast stage and like Tight. wheeling in TV technology. I kind of thought we were just going to be like on a fucking like, like a auxiliary stage with a projector behind us. Like we usually do podcasts. No, they're going to be like, it, it's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. Capital A, capital T, a thing. So get your tickets now, uh, Frequency.Live, F-R-Q-N-C-Y.Live, one-time only streaming music and podcast festival. That's my big plug. Hell yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, Molly, want to plug The Alternative? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll plug The Alternative per usual. I've been making videos for The Alternative. Go find The Alternative on YouTube. I wish I knew the channel URL off the top of my head because if you Google The Alternative, it's not the SEO, I would say, is not, it's not super tight, super on point, uh, but I've been making videos for them, and that's where you can find them. They've also been doing, speaking of streaming uh, to a, a person at, from a place at a time, they've been doing a Sunday streaming shows that I've been getting a little bit involved in, 7 p.m. Eastern time, see some indie bands play from their homes. Uh, it's chill. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Well, then let's move confidently into the very end part of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been And Introducing. If you would like to email at a, email us and pod at gmail.com or you can follow us at Twitter on at and intro pod or our soundcloud is as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod okay. and as always rate and review us on itunes and tell a friend uh don't be uh, an insular apathetic like jake mascus don't be a a shrinking uh passive aggressive like lou barlow go out and engage your fellow man and say hey i've been listening to this great music podcast uh that has wonderful guests and talks about cool bands it's called and introducing uh, there's, there's your script. Yeah, there's if your you script. Need a script. <laughs> Go out, uh, get some returns, <laughs> spread the word, uh, yeah. start a zine, start a podcast zine, and write about us. We were we're down for. Oh interviews. my god, a podcast zine! How how funny. Uh, that's something I've been thinking about doing for years, but probably yes. will never get around to. So I leave it up to you, the enterprising listener. Until then, we will talk to you next week for Fugazi here on and intro Disney.